Hey everybody, Justin here. Just wanted to jump on and put a little disclaimer at the top of today's podcast that our audio quality is not as good as it has been for our last few episodes. So we appreciate you continue to be patient with us as we continue to work out some of the kinks of our new recording setup. And with that said, enjoy the pod. It's been a long time. I shouldn't have left you without a strong rhyme to step to. Think of how many weeks shows just slept through. Time's up, I'm sorry I kept you thinking of this. You keep repeating your mess. The rhyme from the microphone solo with so you see. Hello and welcome to the Flock Pod. Hashtag 072. We are here hanging out in the condo. We got the Avatarier producers hanging out, making us sound right on the ones and twos. You can of course find us at the Flock Pod on your favorite social media platforms. We are partnered with westcoastcfb.com make sure to go check out their website and let them know that we sent you over there also if you would be so kind please go to your favorite podcast streaming platform give us a like give us a subscribe maybe even give us a five-star rating or two why not we'd really appreciate it you can find me at coach justin d on any social media platform that you'd like shane tell them where you are you can find me on the Twitter at bartender Shane, bartender Shane six, and on the Instagram at walk up walk up Shane six. Can tell that we talked a long time before we started recording today. <laughs> we I did. feel like yeah, we I did. feel like we can tell like when the energy comes in a little low and it's a little like our we're, our verbiage is kind of thrown off just a little bit. So yeah, we need to just turn the mics on a little bit earlier and get this baby going. Get it going. Get it going. Get it going. Okay, so it's kind of a, I think that's maybe why the energy is a little bit low today too. It's kind of a rough week to be a Duck fan. Uh, this last Sunday I think really took its toll on the Duck community with uh, both uh, men's and women's basketball teams falling in the Sweet 16. Both teams making a run there at the end to really make it close and kind of get your hopes up. You know, it's the the Marvel, you know, don't give me hope kind of a thing. I'm already going to throw out a Marvel reference to throw Shane off. Get it in early today. I know. Hey, that's what I do, baby. Get it in early. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and then the fact, too, that, like, both these games were back-to-back, too. Yeah. Like, that was, like, that was the real, like, energy sucker. I even felt like I was at work, and I felt like after the women's game and them losing, like, the the vibe had already been lowered like a bar or two before that men's game. I don't even feel like it had the same kind of like anticipatory kind of like the same oomph. Yeah. yeah, The same kind of fire that the fan base was feeling. I don't know if people at home felt that same way, but it was just, it was weird having those games just be like almost as like close back to back as they could have been. It was a long day. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was, I think it was definitely a long day. I did the whole outfit change, you know, after the women's game, we changed up the ambiance a little bit here in the condo to try to get some good juju going for the men's game. But I think at the end of the day, both those games, well, let's jump into the men's game here first, but both games were a classic matchup situation Mm -hmm. where the ducks just, especially with that USC um, half court zone, really clicking on every single level possible that you would want for a defense. It's just a terrible matchup for this duck team. And I love the way that, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about this a lot more also in Justin Reed's tweets to Shane at the very end of the podcast, so make sure to stick around for that. But Dana Allman just falls on a sword and just says, you know, I didn't have these guys ready to play. Yeah, I mean, especially, too, when it comes down to a very basic strategic move by USC going zone, which in the previous game we didn't see a ton of, ton of zone in that matchup. And then Oregon just, I mean... Everybody knows the best way to beat a zone is to shoot them out of it. And Oregon, 
I, that was probably one of the worst shooting performances of the year, I'm guessing. At uh, three-point shooting was at a 23.8%. It's not good, Shane. It's not what you want. It's not what you want. And it's a classic example of one guy getting hot for your opposing team. Uh, I mean, they mentioned him several times on the broadcast. Isaiah White, formerly of Utah Valley State, going for 22 points, five rebounds. The dude couldn't miss from three. And it's the frustrating thing about that is, as a coach, he had an ugly shot. So, yeah. so watching a dude that has an ugly shot make it on your squad when he hasn't really done that in the past, and then to watch a guy like LJ Figueroa really struggle to find it and miss at least two open looks, if not four or five good open looks that he normally knocks down. So it really just comes down to the difference between LJ going for four points and the USC guy going for 22. Well, that was kind of like the the big difference we'd seen in this team with the resurgence of Will Richardson was his prowess as a point guard really opened up the three-point shooting for the rest of the team down that like final stretch of the regular season into the tournament and then into the March Madness tournament. And this team had been so consistent from behind the three-point line that the, I mean, one of my notes was the poor shooting kind of led to poor everything else, which it which it classically does, mm-hmm. right? Is it the seeing the ball go through the hoop is an energizer on every single level, you know? And it, it really looked like a lack of like a cohesive energy. Everybody's playing hard, but not all, not all five guys were kind of swimming in the same direction. Mm-hmm. I mean, anybody who's played basketball at you know really any level knows that after you make a shot that like that jog back to the other end of the court to play defense is almost like you're just like gliding. Yeah, you're you just like lighter. walking on yeah. clouds. Nothing can bring you down. You can check that guy up. That's why you see somebody make a shot. They slap the floor when they go back and play defense. It's like you, you have that very short burst of kind of like adrenaline mixed with uh, joy. Mixed well, with that, like, it's a serotonin dump for sure. Yeah. yeah. And it's just, especially when you're playing against a zone. And like you said, you know, the thing that you should be able to do is shoot them out of it. And then you miss one and then you miss two and then you miss three. And then as a team, you start getting in your head and then you start forcing it. And then you're starting to create shots that you normally wouldn't be able to create. You're not making the the right pass and the right, you know, cutaway movement like you should be doing. You get into what, you know, Keanu Reeves talks about on the replacements like quicksand. Mm-hmm. Where you're trying to do too much and you kind of fall outside of yourself a little bit. So it was really a bummer to see that kind of a team performance happen while an individual performance like my man Eugene Omaruri's was going on. He got the game that I predicted, but it was just in a different um, different matchup as opposed to the Iowa matchup. But he went off 28-10, and 10, puts himself in some really rarefied air when it comes to the NCAA tournament overall. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, Duarte also, I mean, 21-5-6 and six goes along right along with his averages. Absolutely. So, I Absolutely. mean, those two players, I mean – This whole season we've looked at as them being kind of like the catalyst for the energy. They're the leaders. They're the older guys on the team. But it really just came down to the rest of the team. uh, I'd say confidence really is what it really looked like to me. Confidence got shook. Yeah. And again, I'll I'll go back to Dana just falling on his sword saying I just I didn't have these guys ready to play. You know, I didn't have them ready to play against that zone. Um, he talked about, you know, maybe should have gone to Frank earlier, some different things like that. <laughs> a tweet that I was really proud of during that game is Frank is basically the basketball equivalent of a five hour energy. Yeah, I saw that. Like, that you just really throw him out. And the story that you were telling before we started recording today, where he tried to jump and block that three pointer, just shows you his, his youthful, sometimes over exuberance for the game and just he has all this talent and ability but he doesn't know where to channel it all the time 
it's kind of like watching like a puppy at the dog park a little <laughs> bit where it's just like, I'm having such a good time. I don't know what to do with myself. You're really connecting with me right now. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like I was, level. that was one part of the game where I really got to like kind of sit and watch and I'm like, okay, Frank's in, let's see if this kind of shifts the momentum. Cause everybody on this podcast knows and anybody who's ever seen me like bartend know that I'm always kind of hyping Frank up. I'm like, no, put in Frank, he'll fix it. He'll fix it. And, and they did look a little bit flat out there at yeah, times and Frank, flat. Frank can be, you know, the, the the solution to that problem. But yeah, somebody shoots a three and he times it and just tries to go up and goaltend it. And there was people like sitting at the tables like, you can't do that, right? I'm like, <laughs> no, no, you can't. <laughs> okay, just checking. And I was like, yeah, you know, you don't normally see a basketball player at this level or any level attempt that. It, it took was, me it took me back to coaching middle school and like when you're playing on the eight and a halfs and you're playing against the kids you're playing on and you just go up and goaltend just to be able to do it and be like, No, I'm bigger than you and I'm playing one on eight. I'm gonna do this. The other moment that he had that really showed you just his his youthfulness was when he went up and tried to steal that alley oop that Duarte threw. And it's he did a, he did a lot of really great things, big dunks, you know, great box outs, bottling Mobley up. It's going to be exciting to see him develop as a player and you can see the love that he has for this program and that this program has for him, but just channeling that, getting some more skill behind that talent and, you know, giving him a more defined role. Mm-hmm. I think will really help. And just learning to slow down and pick his spots. Yes. I mean, he's still 17. Yeah, and, and right now he's he's running around, he's trying to do everything on every play. Absolutely, and I think that's it's he's getting in his own way more than he even realizes at yep. this point. Uh, I want to end this recap by just saying, um, folks, we're we're fans. I realize that fan is short for fanatic, but at the end of the day, we got to remember that these are kids, and. I mean, there's been some awful stories, you know, about that Ohio State player, you know, receiving death threats and stuff like that. And I haven't seen anything to that level, but uh, especially I I guess I have a soft spot for my man Chandler Lawson. Like he just he's kind of become like the Twitter scapegoat, you know, scapegoat for this whole program. And so everybody going after him and you need to quit basketball. And if he sees any time on the floor next year, Dana should be fired. And just like all of these tweets and and I just. Just remember that these are kids, and has he turned into the player that we as a fan base really hoped he could? No. Can he still? Possibly. Has he performed at the level we want him to? Absolutely not. So frustration is understandable, but let's let's keep it non-toxic. Let's not be going after the young man's heart. Well, and like, too, if he would have not been in Oregon this first couple of years and played at like a D2 level or a smaller school, he probably would be averaging like 18 and 10. And Miles if he Norris. was a transfer coming to Oregon, we'd all be like drooling yeah, over this, absolutely. like this talent. And he still has time to develop. He's still a, a very young player who's growing into a, uh, I don't want to say like a strange body, but a. The dude can almost scratch his ankles <laughs> yeah. while he's standing straight up and down. His arms are so long. And if you've coached anybody at any level, you understand that those long, gangly arms make it really hard to shoot the basketball mm-hmm. anywhere. It takes a long time to develop touch. He's probably still growing. Probably. So, I mean, just, I mean, his hands are huge, his arms are really long. Both of those things make it very difficult to develop a finishing touch. Would I lock him in a gym and make him do Mike and drill for probably two months this summer? Yes, I would. Right. However, he's he still has he can still contribute to this program moving forward. I mm-hmm. hope he doesn't transfer. 
that's that's what I'm worried. Well, about. his brother's coming next year. I know. But so still. yeah, yeah, and that's true. And I, I mean, especially really if good. he does get shit on enough on Twitter, it could happen. And I, I think that with his brother coming next year, it could add an extra level of comfort for him that we could see a, a huge spike in his performance really so. in this next season. I really hope so. The Eddie effect. Um, real quick before we move on to the the women's game, I do want to touch on something that you brought up also pre podcast was the. Um, just Eugene Omaruri's season and his impact on this program and kind of looking back at, you know, other players that have been able to do this in just a one year span. Obviously he was, you know, in the program for two years, but he didn't play last year and just the overall impact. And the only player that I could even, that we talked about that we even came up with is Arsalan Kazemi. Mm-hmm. And then looking at their, their tournament track records also, it was actually very, um, it was a perfect comparison. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I was kind of leading with the question, like, is Eugene Armory the best, like, one-and-done, quote-unquote, player that Oregon's ever seen with not having a ton of freshmen who have come in for the one season and taken off? So it was a little bit of a more unorthodox one-and-done season. It's the Dana one-and-done, the transfer one-and-done. <laughs> it's a one-and-done nonetheless, though. And, I mean, just his impact coming in and being an immediate leader on this team, I mean, and just the way he played, the effort that he put out every single night, and then down to at the end of this game, seeing his emotional response that we kind of talked about some other players having before, but just seeing how much he had invested in this team in this season for just a one-year span, which a lot of other players in his position could have really looked past and not gotten as involved as he did. I think it's just it's incredible what he did, and we were really lucky to have him for the amount of time that we did. And I think it was very telling to see him embraced by Mike Menenga, the assistant coach on the staff who um, has deep New York connections in regards to club basketball and just that's kind of where he came from. So I don't have any insider knowledge, but I can assume that maybe Menenga is the reason why Omaruri's here with the Rutgers and just having those connections back east. And uh, if you get a chance to just have a have a look at him on the bench, like don't watch Dana, don't watch what's going on, just watch Coach Menenga. You can see how much he cares about these players. And somebody tweeted something out that he's going to make a great head coach somewhere soon. And I just got a twinge in my heart knowing that it's the truth. Yeah. He is probably going to move on here in the next year or two. And that's going to be a massive hit to Dana and what he's been able to build. Because you think of all of those kids that have come from Toronto or the New York or that back East area, I would put pretty big money that coach Menenga is one of the big reasons why they were here. Well, especially to those Canadian players that have come to the university of Oregon. They I've, from what I understand, I don't really have a lot of knowledge in that area, but a lot of those Canadian people, players, uh, uh, they really adapt to that New York culture. Yeah. They really look at like, I mean, as far as like music, movies, fashion, all of those things, they're very much, because it's just so close, they're, yeah. mm-hmm. they're very much ingrained to that New York style. So you probably onto something there. That's interesting, too, because I would almost say Toronto is more of like a Portland, like with the way that it... Like... Has a bunch of strip clubs? <laughs> you said it, not me, sir. <laughs> It's just a fact. Uh, just the, yeah, well, but just kind of the vibe of the city, too. But I think you're right where it comes from, like, an energy perspective, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah. So, I agree. I think that, you know, Eugene from Eugene, here in Eugene, will always be from Eugene in Eugene. Eugene, we love you, Eugene. I really hope that uh, he's able to... Um, I don't know if he's going to Europe. I don't know what his next move is. I don't oh, I know think if he, he's an NBA guy. I think he's a G League NBA tweener. I hope so. I re- again, this is he's the guy that I'm going to really root for. He's a guy that I he, I think teams are going to look at him though. 24 years old, 
doesn't have the the body. I don't I don't know if they're gonna see a PJ Tucker or if they're gonna see a guy that just won't ever develop and maybe needs to go play in Greece. Yeah, I mean, I think the size is the only real question. But like w- what we saw him do versus Luca Garza it was like, okay, you can play in the league at least for me. I hope so. I hope. I mean, he'd be a perfect San Antonio Spur. Yeah. I mean, he, he's a or great Popovich, like, oh, put him on my side team. Please, <laughs> please let me root for him. Uh, so that's one guy that we know for sure is leaving this team. And then Chris Duarte is the other gentleman that has put his name out there and said that he will obviously be moving on. Not take, I keep saying obviously. I'm going to stop trying to do that. I've noticed it in my re-listens of the podcast. Like, that's another, maybe that needs to be another part of our drinking game is every time I say obviously <laughs> you've got a drink. Um, I don't know if I should be encouraging a drinking game along with our podcast either, but it just, it's whatever, you know, you do your own thing while you're listening, but you don't uh, have to play or you can take a, you yeah, can take a shot you know, of water, whatever, whatever you want to do. Like it's a, you know, get up and do a squat. I don't know something, right? Like, <laughs> let's, let's encourage some physical fitness here, right? Some positivity. Uh, Chris Duarte moving on late first rounder, you know, draft capital. The thing that I, I've seen this season and that he really exemplified in that USC game is his creativity and the development of his old man footwork kind of near the rim, uh, you know, throwing a pump fake, getting guys up in the air, using the contact. That's that kind of NBA game that I think scouts are going to really look at. Obviously, his ability to shoot the ball is on ball. Defense has improved a lot this year. He's going to have to continue to improve, and his off-ball rotations are going to have to change now, moving out of Dana's amoeba. But I think he's got an upside. I think he's got a first-round upside in the NBA. I think his size plus his skill set makes him kind of that prototype uh, shooting guard in the NBA right now as far as what teams are looking for. And then I think when he's given a little bit more space, I think he the scoring is going to look even better at the next level just because you can tell that he has a really good understanding of where to be without the ball and kind of the the uh, the geometry of the game, cre- like creating those angles, being in the right spot to be able to get those passes out of the post and all of that stuff. So I think we're going to see him even the, – the jump that he's going to make at the next level is going to surprise some people just because I think – what he's going to be given at the next level is going to be more tailored to his game than he had here at Oregon. Interesting. Interesting. I've seen some, I think this is a little too high, but like some Devin book talk with him, like, you know, but even Devin Booker struggled a little bit at Kentucky and he's obviously turned into a much better player than I think a lot of people thought he was coming out of Kentucky, but that kind of game, you know, shooter creates maybe a Devin Booker light kind of player. Yeah, it's funny because the comparisons that he keeps getting are these guys where I'm like, whoa, like <laughs> they're like, well, he's kind of like, you know, one of the best three point shooters of all time or, you know, like a three time all star in his first four years in the NBA. It's well, like, that's the beauty of the NBA comparison. Yeah. Right? I mean, if you want to take it to another level, you can say that he's I mean, who's trying to think of somebody in the league right now see one player that he always always kind of reminded me of is a player that we were talking about earlier that was a former louisville shooting guard that actually took that kazemi oregon team out of the tournament oh, in the yeah. francisco garcia yeah, yeah where i mean yeah. in college i mean he was looking he was a pure bucket at louisville and I then see that he yeah. had an okay career in the nba i think some people would look at it as a disappointment but i mean he, he was also a player who was a little bit older going into the league but at a very very similar game where it's like you can be a walking bucket at times, kind of picks his spots, good enough defender, good size, good wing. Kelly Oubre? I just hate Kelly Oubre. 
<laughs> I just, I'm not even going there. <laughs> I just hate him. <laughs> All right, I think that's a, a good opportunity for us to move on and start talking about this women's game. Then, obviously, uh, <laughs> I did it again. Obviously, <laughs> uh, we'll we'll Shut talk up. a lot more about what this Duck team looks like moving forward. This men's team, uh, we'll have a lot more time here during the spring. Nathan Biddle coming in looks like he's really going to be the truth. Uh, and Folly Dante going to get healthy. A couple other big time recruits coming in for Dana, and you know he's going to jump into the transfer market. And see who we might be able to pull in. Uh, <coughs> Timmy Allen. <coughs> please, please make that happen. That would be so fun to watch. Okay. God, your guy. That Dude, would be so cool. I, you know I'd have an Allen Timmy jersey. Oh, that would yeah. Go bonkers. Like, that would be really, really fun to see him. We've heard a lot of some other things. I mean, can, like you mentioned, Kentucky. I think him getting out of the Pac-12 kind of makes some sense. Did you have anything else you wanted to add on as we kind of put a bow on this men's basketball no, I think, season? I think we're good. Well, like I said, we'll dive deeper into you know looking forward and maybe even doing a more like season recap show just to talk about where this team came from and what they were able to accomplish. And this season was an overwhelming success. Oh, yeah. And anybody saying otherwise needs to reevaluate some of their fandom, their spoiled yeah. fandom nature. People's people's expectations need to check every now and again. Hey, you're expectations are going to dictate your happiness Jalen mm-hmm. and Jacoby taught me that all right moving on here to the women's side of the envelope uh, where Dana Evans just ripped the heart out for the Ducks did exactly what I was afraid of doing and yeah. some people were I got a few I don't want to say arguments little uh, debates online about Twitter beef about whether or not um, you know Louisville was like a a real threat to this Oregon team. I saw a few people saying like, Oh, Louisville's so beatable after they were down big to Northwestern. It was the game that we were actually watching when we recorded the last podcast yeah. and they ended up coming back and winning that game pretty handedly. But I was afraid of Oregon not having a player to really slow down or stop Dana Evans. And we saw it early on. Kinda. I, I Maddie Shear had the clamps on her, man. Mortal I know, I know combat Oregon. time. Maybe. I think so. I think so. I think that, she, I mean, she got that early steal. It looked as if it had come like from a commandment from the coaching staff. Like even though they were within a zone, anytime Dana came anywhere near Maddie, it was her job to get out there and put pressure on her. They picked her up, you know, not full court, but right about half to try to maintain just to tire her out even. So I'm not, I'm not saying that she holds her to under 10 points. I think we agree that Dana probably gets 16 to 20 Mm-hmm. But it's going to be a lot harder. It's going to she's going to be a lot more tired. She's not going to have maybe the the success that she had in the fourth quarter of this Oregon game, where the the Cardinal outscored the Ducks seventeen to nine and really put the clamps on the game for the for the finale. But I I was really really impressed with what Maddie was doing in that first. Uh, I think she got injured around the six minute mark, so mm-hmm. like that first five six minutes of the game. Well, I mean, early in this game, too, like Oregon got a lot of wind taken out of their sails. It was really interesting. I thought the very first possession, like right after the jump ball, it's a three second call on Sedona Prince. So you could tell that the coaching staff for Louisville had already kind of like gotten in the ref's ears a little bit. Oh, yeah. You want to plant those seeds after your scouting report. Like, hey, 32 loves to throw those chicken wings. Just to keep an eye out for that. And it's one thing I always think is funny, like as a ref, especially when it's like third grade games or whatever and you're standing there teams are going through layup lines or whatever and the coach starts coming up to you and being like hey how you doing oh yeah how's your day going so anyways when people set screens we want to make sure that their feet are really set you know and i'm like oh boy here we go <laughs> and uh you could tell that was definitely something that the louisville coaching staff had emphasized because they were uh they are a very sm- much smaller team i mean yeah. the player they had guarding near was five eight yeah or 
Yeah, I think five eight. I think is well, what we're she saying. battled and she did a fantastic job. Oh my gosh, she was fun to watch. Um, not to jump too far ahead, uh, but yeah, Makissa Robinson, I mm-hmm. think, was that at number five? I believe so. Oh man, I don't feel like that's right. I hope that's right. I hope that's right. Anyway, she threw that behind the back pass on like the very last possession of the game, and that was where I was fine. Okay, I'm done. I can't watch <laughs> it anymore. I need to leave the room. I'm, I, but like I said, that combination of like the men's game and the women's game, I think I sent you this text. I'm proud of myself. I did not throw a temper tantrum. I didn't break anything. I got upset. I got mad, but I still enjoyed my Sunday. Blazers won. You know, so there was like one little bit of like good thing that happened. But yeah, it was I, maturity, Shane. Maturity. Yeah, and it, it, this was a frustrating game. I know I saw a lot of people on Twitter really questioning the the officiating in this game, which I didn't really think was that bad. Um, I agree with you. I think they actually, they were consistent, mm-hmm. if at least nothing else. Yeah, I thought like the three second call in the first play, I thought was a little wonky, but if you watch it, she was, it was a five second call. So, I mean, and like Sedona Prince's second foul, which took her out of the game at a very early point and really changed what Oregon yeah. was forced to do early in the game was stupid. I mean, she got the ball poked out, might have been a foul there, and, there and then was she a- just... That's a frustration foul because mm-hmm. if you watch that play from the very, very beginning, Sedona gets hit twice. Mm-hmm. She gets hit in the face, no call. She gets hit on the arm as she's going to make that pass, no call. And then just that's where like your your eight year old, like when you're wrestling your siblings just comes out and like you're running to the kitchen and you just want to keep them away from getting the first fruit roll up and so you're like trying to hold them back. <laughs> you know, and that's just instinctual. And you're right, it's a it's a stupid foul. That's the, it's a perfect situation where it's understandable, but it's still unacceptable. Yeah. As soon as she did it, I was like, yeah, that's a foul. And I probably would have done the same yeah. thing. Yeah. Absolutely. With the, with the, especially with the contact to the face, mm-hmm. just like the, the level of like nerve endings and anger that that can bring out of a player. Your, your eyes water up a little yep. bit and you're just yep. ready to fight the world. You see red for a moment. It's, oh, it's, the, it's the bull seeing red kind of a situation. And she, Sedona had herself a good game. She was able to rebound, you know, 10 points, not as many rebounds as I would have liked to have seen, but just offensively overall, this team really seemed to get into a little bit of a funk when several really good open looks from the outside didn't fall. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was, it was a bully bomb, I think late in the second quarter that kind of knocked the lid off of the basket Mm -hmm. a little bit before that. I mean, Oregon, I think their first 12 points were in the paint. They were doing a pretty good job in that fashion of attacking the rim, but it, yeah, if you want, if you want to stay in a game, especially with a team that can score like Louisville, you need those outside shots to fall, and just to kind of give your offense a little bit more. That opens things up in the middle a little bit more. Um, getting back to Sedona real quick, I kept a tally of how many fadeaways she took in this oh, game. Oh, please, yeah, five fadeaways. Too many. And probably two or three peri- long perimeter twos also. Yeah, and I didn't count those. Yeah, there there was there was one three that she took that was, you know, end of shot clock. That one I'm okay with. But if I remember correctly, there were two, maybe three, where it's the classic, like you're one step in from the three-point line. And, I mean, just biggie, piggybacking on that, when you have shooters like T-Mike plays 37 minutes, two points. Taylor Chavez. Taylor Chavez can shoot the basketball. We've mm-hmm. seen her do it. 21 minutes, zero points. We've seen a little bit of a dip in her offensive prowess this season. Her and Jazz Shelley 
I mean, I didn't even know Jack Shelley was available for that game, and then she just gets thrown out in the last five or six minutes to go out there and play, play with Kylie Watt. Where was she earlier in the game? I have, I, again, I don't know anything about this, but I have a feeling that was a conditioning thing. Which may, I, I understand it, you know, and throwing her out there at the end, like, hey, let's let's break the rust off of you. Let's mm-hmm. let you go play in the tournament game. But that's brutal. I mean, especially T Mike. I've been. I've been wanting to see more from her, but I think just having the point guard load put on her reminds she turned into Mate Cazorla. Yeah. A little bit, you know, like she didn't, she didn't look like she could find her shot. She looked uncomfortable. She didn't look like she could, cause she, what, one of her greatest skills and same with uh, Mate is coming off of screens. Mm -hmm. And if you're not going to be able to give it up and be able to get it back, you know, and be able to come off some of those off ball screens, it's going to be really difficult to get those open looks. And you combine that then with Aaron Boley missing two or three really good looks. It just, it all, you know, steamrolls on you to the point where you score eight points in the first quarter and six points in the second quarter. Right. And Louisville did a really good job of keeping the pace really high in this game, yes. which mm-hmm. I think did a good job of frustrating the Arasabli a little mm-hmm. bit. Oregon wanted to slow it down, and it was something that we had talked about before that game, where I wanted to see them really beat the ball into the block and give Niarasabli a lot of post touches, so that way she could kind of enforce her will, which she did at times. But then Louisville, even like after Oregon buckets, they were getting the ball out of the net and bringing it up the court, yeah. court as quickly as possible. And even when Oregon, there was one play early in the game where uh, Niara Sabli gets the ball or she blocks Dana Evans gets the ball takes it down and then gets stripped on the other end by Dana Evans it was kind of like the game in a nutshell a little bit like although Niara Sabli got the block the pace kind of forced her to play faster than she wanted to and that played right into Louisville's hands three seconds later well and we kind of buried the lead where I mean Niara hurt herself here at the end of this game too I man that one got me I'm gonna be honest, as a just as a fan, I'm and I'm not. I'm a man. I am not afraid to say this. I started to tear up because yeah. you know everything that that young lady has battled through to come back. What her and Sedona have both. I'm I'm welling up a little bit just talking about it right now because I know as a coach, you see the cold tub sessions after rehab. You see the rehab sessions where there's there's tears involved because you're trying to reactivate muscle groups that have been dead and how challenging that is. And to put yourself in a position where you're in the Sweet 16, you're playing, you know, for your university finally, and then to have something like that happen and not be able to finish the game, you just know how much that's going to beat her up and eat at her for the rest of the season, mm-hmm. the off season now. And we hope that that injury isn't anything more than it than it looked like. I mean, it was a pretty bad ankle. Her turn. and Maddie both had really, really bad ankle rolls. You hope that they're not the the dreaded high ankle sprain mm-hmm. that our that our boy Laflop is battling with right now. LeBron men- mentioned, make sure you drink and follow through on that, or do your squats <laughs> if you're going to. Um, but it's that's a tough one. Yeah. That, that's a really because it's just you know what she's gone through and to see it see it not end because she'll be back next year but to watch this season's version of this team and that that's one thing I always talk to my teams as as a coach too is every team is its own lifespan you know what I mean like yeah a lot of these girls will be back but it won't be this same team right so when you see these players you know showing their emotions on the bench. It's it's a death of something. It's a death of a team. It's a death of this this work and growth that you've put in to get to where you are. And so it's it's only natural, I think, to to see those emotional outbursts in those moments. I remember I think it was Joel Joel Embiid got absolutely crushed because he was crying like after the Sixers had gotten knocked out of it's like 
if anything, you, they should be commended for being able to show that kind of vulnerability like that on a stage like that to show how much this meant to them, like getting rid of this, oh, like too cool for school kind of mentality. Yeah, I agree. And especially in a situation like specific to Niara's where having the opportunity to play with her sister was already yeah. taken away and some of these other things where it just seems like it's been nothing but like bad news after bad news happening to her and then it's like finally she's able to play. She's an all Pac-12 performer. She's having a great run in this tournament down in Texas. And then it was like I even watching it. I was I remember because I was washing dishes at work and I have the TV like right above the dish pit there. And somebody said Niara got hurt and I didn't even want to watch. Yep. Like I, I eventually watched and I was like, oh, and I was like, OK, it doesn't look like an ACL or anything. Because that was my first thought was just like no fucking way can this happen when it's to her the again. left ankle which is good because then you hope it doesn't affect the rest of the chain going up the right side where she's got her knee brace on right now and so it's, but she tore the other acl already i mean I granted that was the the last the ladder yeah, yeah. Yep, but yep, yep. which is crazy that we have to describe her injuries exactly. in this way which and is that's just... that's the journey right that's the journey that she's been on and we can we're sending you know healing vibes here from the flock pod Savali definitely heal up um, use that rice method as much as you can. And I know that U of O uh, training squads got access to some goodies too, to, uh, to really get you feeling back to yourself. So mm. hopefully she can get back to hundred percent. She's and, my, my number one Twitter follow too. I'll never be more proud of anything else than Yara Sobley follows me. On I Twitter. don't even think she follows the flock pod. No, just That's me. That's a big get, dude, dude. It's been for a couple of years now. Okay, so we need to, we need to get another follow for the, I mean, the tournament's over now. I mean, for, I mean, the Paul Heipler thing was fun, but now I think it's time we move. We need to target somebody. So maybe it's, maybe do we go after Nyara to get her to follow the flock pod? Maybe. I mean, I know things are a little weird with like how players feel about uh, alternative sports media markets. Also true. While they're playing. We so maybe like my professional amateur podcasters, <laughs> maybe like a next duck, like Dennis Dixon or something. I like cool. that idea. Yeah. I like that idea. There's, there's some, we've talked about a couple of people. I still, the bill Walton is the golden goose. <laughs> yeah. It's the golden I, that's goose. yeah. So getting back to this women's squad, not to get too distracted here, but we do know for sure that two duck careers did end on that Sunday. Um, this is this is where I start crying. Yeah, this is what's going to get Shane in the goods. Uh, Lydia Giomi deciding to move on and, and graduate, and Aaron Boley uh, deciding to, to move on. Boley looks like she's going to be a first-round WNBA selection. She's projected second round. Projected second round? Yeah. Okay. She's I think she's a first-round talent. I, I think so, too. And I think if, if they do have some form of a combine uh, – will still remains to be seen but when she gets in workouts and individual workouts her teams can really come and look at her i think that her draft stock might rise a little bit and i honestly i and i know that this is a big old homer take and i'm probably wrong but i think that there's some WNBA talent with lydia giomi as well hope so I hope she's able to continue her career uh playing here stateside and then maybe doing some international play also she could definitely play overseas which i mean fuck it. You make more money over there anyways. But. Well, and we'll see what her decision is. Also, I haven't mm. seen whether she's going to continue to pursue a basketball career or not. I know a lot of, uh, a lot of um, collegiate athletes have options to go play overseas and things like that. And they just decide, you know, it's time, it's time to hang it up. Yeah. I know. Like, I mean, I, I didn't have a ton of options after high school, but I was like ready to be done with the, that lifestyle, yeah. at least for like a little while. Like I, 
looking back on it, there's aspects of it I miss. But when you're in the thick of it and every day and your sprints and you're running and you're stretching and your workouts and your shitty protein shakes and all that stuff, it's it's a it's a marathon. It is a it's a complete lifestyle. So I get it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So we wish them both the best in whatever they decide to do um, moving forward. And again, um, as we move into the off season here, we'll definitely do more of a, a season recap, looking forward kind of capsule episode for this women's basketball team. Cause the future is incredibly bright. The future is incredibly mm-hmm. bright. Yeah. And that's one thing that I think, I mean, getting back to expectations, like this was a great run. I know that everybody is a little disappointed after last year's team kind of, uh, to say like a what is what is it when you get a grade where it's not like a incomplete incomplete yeah, yeah it was incomplete. like an incomplete so I know everybody's expectations were a little thrown but this was a great season I mean that well, was a great run and I need to we should I should have gone back and listened to our preseason pods to see what we predicted but I think this was right around the range that we talked about the the potential for this women's team was you know a sweet sixteen elite mm-hmm. eight run for the men's team I think they overachieved from what we talked about. I mean, this was another season where we talked about, we weren't even sure what they were going to have. Well, I mean, especially after the Will Richardson injury. Yeah. 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 We weren't really sure what this team could even, I mean, yeah, it was a complete mystery what this team was even going to look like. So yeah, I think that was a big, big time accomplishment by that, especially that uh, Oregon coaching staff and Dane Altman. And And I mean, Kelly Graves, fantastic job as well for kind of some of the, the hands that they were dealt as well 100 100 battling through injuries so let's do a little final four uh prediction here for the men's and women's side here on the men's side we have gonzaga versus ucla on april 3rd zuko's birthday and uh then uh, baylor plays houston also zuko's birthday so uh i like gonzaga and baylor to come out of those two games 100 percent agree. chalk yeah pretty chalky right there and then on um, women's side i feel like it's kind of chalk as well yeah and i had a, i had originally select i thought gonzaga was going to be playing oklahoma state in the national championship game so at least we'll have gonzaga playing a big 12 team i'll take that as a victory i had gonzaga versus another osu yeah, Ohio State. Ohio State. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I remember. So we that were both now. pretty far off with that one. Uh, you pretty were a little bit closer than me by one round. Day <laughs> bad. Yeah. Well, shit, man. I got like, one Final Four team, my man. All right, so let's jump over and over to the women's side. Uh, two Pac-12 teams on the women's side. We have Arizona matching up against Player of the Year Paige Beckers and UConn, and then Stanford versus South Carolina. Um, I I feel pretty good about this one. I had three of these four teams picked in my bracket, but I think uh, I think Stanford beats South Carolina. I think they make that move, and I think UConn uh, beats Arizona and Ari McDonald. I think that's going to be a really fun game to watch. But I think UConn will uh, be triumphant there, and we'll we'll talk about UConn women's basketball a little bit later on, also in uh, Justin Reed's tweets to Shane. But I think it's going to be a Stanford UConn final. But I've got Stanford pulling it out. Uh, jeez, I got I got the same matchup, but man, that is a tough one. I hope it's gonna be a great game. I sh- I really don't see how it couldn't be with the way that both teams are playing right now. I mean, Stanford is a little bit more of a like quote unquote boring team than UConn. The way that they can kind of just methodically kind of wait and kind of pound out a team, especially in that uh, last matchup with Louisville. I mean, I think Louisville is an absolute offensive buzzsaw when it comes to women's basketball this year. They just have so much talent when it comes to scoring the ball. But Stanford was able to just use their size, use their pace, control the game. They were just kind of sticking around the whole time. Like, Louisville was up. 
I think uh, as many as like 16 points in the first half. Stanford seemed completely unfazed, which I was, I mean, me and my wife were watching the game and I was like, oh, Louisville's going to win this thing. I, I had Louisville winning the whole uh, tournament and Stanford just completely grinded them out and just used their depth and their size and it's it's incredible what what they're able to accomplish. Well, and that's why that Stanford South Carolina game is going to be so fun too. Be I mean South Carolina held Texas scoreless in the fourth quarter, mm-hmm. scoreless in the Elite Eight with the potential number one pick in the WNBA on that roster. Yeah, wow. I mean like the best WNBA potential talent in college basketball right now. Yeah, wow. draft eligible. I should yeah, say. I, th- I thought you were going to go a different direction there, and I was about to smack you down. No, like Charlie Collier is. I mean. It's it's incredible the all the different ways that she's able to score at her size yeah. and I'm gonna pat myself on the back here a little bit but I called that Texas over Maryland plus six twenty five yes, money line I wasn't able to get rich off of it because Bovada doesn't like me and I didn't want to deal with their Lithuanian customer service that day so technology yeah it was like your account has been deactivated due to inactivity I was like well. That's fair. Probably a good thing. <laughs> you know, that's probably a good thing at the yeah, end of the day. Yeah. And we will talk more about the mother of ducklings here coming up in Walker on the Flock right after the break, also. So there will be some more talk there. And I think actually, I think we're there. I think we're at break time. Break it's time, time. To, time to take a little break. We will talk about softball, baseball, soccer, volleyball, mother of ducklings, recruiting news. Just as we were getting ready to record, we got a big Twitter announcement coming across. So make sure you stick around after the break to find out who's going to be in a duck uniform in 2022. Lost a few games. Tough. That was District 5. Now we're the Ducks. Yeah. And the Ducks yeah. are undefeated. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Quack. 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 Well, I've seen so many memes like about like burning CDs lately too. Like I'm so old that my iPod skipped because it was like the songs on my iPad were recorded from burned CDs or whatever. Like, oh man. One of the best tweets I've seen in a long time is uh, today's generation will never understand what it's like to destroy the family computer for a low quality version of Nellyville. (laughs) (laughs) LimeWire, bro. LimeWire. Oh, shit. That's funny. Wow, we've gone way too long. All right, let's get this going. Oh, God. It's crazy how fast 10 minutes go. Mm-hmm. And fun. But that's some of our best content, so I'm glad we did that because I might be able to pull something for a cold open out of there, too. Mm-hmm. All right, three, two, one. And we're back. Welcome back here to the beautiful condo. We are going to take first our stroll around the flock, talk about some of these other spring sports that are going on right now, also some just generic duck tent that's out there with uh, Sabrina getting a shoe PE and uh, some recruiting, some big-time recruiting news that just dropped right as we were starting to record. And then, of course, America's new favorite podcast segment, Justin Reads Tweets to Shane. We're playing around with the idea of adding another like nerd corner segment where, you know, I either explain movies to Shane or Shane explains movies. So if you know, if you like this kind of content, if you like the non duck stuff, let us know, you know, if you're still listening, you're still listening to the pod. If you're hearing this, you're obviously still listening. So just give us, you know, shout us out on Twitter. Let us know what you want to hear some more of. That's uh, we'd we'd love to hear some of that from our from our beautiful fans out there. Let's just jump right into it here, Shane. Uh, we're gonna talk about the poll that you just put up, the Ridnauer versus Peyton Pritchard. We're gonna talk about that next week. 
So uh, just make sure to uh, keep an eye on that. If you have any more uh, comments or questions, make sure to hit up that Twitter poll. But we're going to jump into some softball conversation, Shane, because that's that was one of the things that I tweeted out on Sunday after that game, too. It's like, okay, the Blazers won, and we still have, you know, Haley Cruz and the softball team ranked number three in the country. Yeah, they're doing good. <laughs> they just swept Lower Marymount University um, Friday, winning 14-2. to two. Uh, Oregon scored for 14 runs on 14 hits. And Brooke Yanez picked up a 10th win of the season. Um, that was the Friday game. Friday. Yeah, yeah. yeah. sorry. Yep, so yep, then yep. they played Another Friday game night. On Friday night, yeah. Where um, pitcher McKenna Clitherimes. Well done. Uh, became the fourth pitcher, fourth pitcher in Oregon softball history to have a 15 strikeout no hitter. And it was the 34th no hitter in program history as Love well. Love to see it. Mm-hmm. Love to see it. So big time matchup coming up um, Thursday, Friday, Friday, Saturday. They're continuing to do those double headers on Friday just to make sure we get games in. It looks like um, in Corvallis, I do believe that there are tickets available if you would like to go up to Corvallis and support the, the Oregon softball team. Um, that'd be great. That'd, yeah, be, that'd the, be absolutely great. The Thursday game is at 4 p.m. and it will be broadcast on the Pac-12 network. Love so it. you will have a chance to actually watch that live on TV. It looks like all four games will also be on the Pac-12 network. And then as we look even a little more forward uh, to a series that we'll obviously talk about next week too, but UCLA mm-hmm. coming to town right now. That Saturday afternoon game at 1 o'clock is scheduled to be on ESPN2. Ooh, big time. So that's the big time. You love to see that. I mean, that's going to be a top three matchup here as long as UCLA and the Ducks take care of business here in these series leading into that. But that's one. Uh, I'd, we should look into getting some tickets for that to be able to go to one of those games. They're going uh, Friday, Saturday, Saturday, Sunday there with the Bruins coming up on April 9th. And the next seven weeks are going to be all Pac-12 opponents. Yes. <clears throat> and they are. I was reading about this upcoming series with the Beavs and Corvallis. This will be the first official conference matchup of the season. So oh, I guess these okay. games prior, although they had played Pac-12 opponents, didn't count towards their conference. So that's interesting because they do have on here that they're three and zero in conference because they've um, maybe they counted the UCLA series, but they said that Oregon had beaten Oregon State earlier this season, but that game did not count as a conference matchup. Well, and they do have a loss to UCLA also, so that's also not being counted um, towards their conference record. So convenient that the Ducks won the games. <laughs> so yeah, what I'm, what I what it looks like it might be uh, I think because the lack of travel and the fact that they had to cancel some of the preseason tournaments that they wanted to still give them as many games in the season as yeah. they could. Oh, but makes not total sense. Any, yeah, with not with yeah. the conference uh, implications on those earlier matchups. So mm-hmm. this next seven weeks here is when we really get into the thick of Pac-12 play from the softball side. I don't know if baseball did the same thing. I don't believe they did, and that's, that's a great segue. So let's just jump right on over to baseball now, Shane. Uh, they come away from Tucson, Arizona with a 1-2 and two victory. A uh, great comeback victory for them in the Sunday game, 18 to 13. Good game to watch. It was. I, I was trying to actually watch a little bit of it. At first, I was really upset because the quality was awful. 
it looked like it was something that was being streamed off my laptop. And then they kind of, about a half an hour into it, kind of figured out what was going on with the stream. Uh, Ducks are 12 and six overall on the season. And they do say they are three and three in conference. So it does not look like they did the same kind of split there that softball Mm -hmm. did with uh, their three losses coming one to Oregon state, one to Arizona state. And then, Oh, actually maybe they did. Because if they're saying they're three and three, and there's definitely more three, there's more than three conference losses here. So it, it's a continued COVID season. You know, we're doing all that we can. Um, one of the unfortunate things about some of these spring sports is it is just more challenging to find streams, to find statistics, to find information about these sports. We're looking at you, U of O. Seriously, um, I'm really looking forward to following this baseball team next year with uh, Carson Lydon, you know, mm-hmm. local kid coming out of Churchill who's just. Just a great kid. I had a chance to coach him when he was younger, and he's doing just some amazing things off the field also as a young athlete. So he's a kid that I'm really excited to really follow his journey in a duck uniform. So hopefully this is something that can improve, and it's only going to improve with more fans like ourselves trying to watch this content. I got after Rob Mosley a little bit because he was tweeting all these like spring sports things. And I was like, hey, Rob Mosley doing his you know spring news Twitter dump here. You know, let's we just got to get the rest of the fandom to come along with us and it was nice to see him respond you know i've been here the whole time i was like yeah we know you have exactly we know you have rob but we got to bring everybody else along with us because these these athletes especially like we talked about with that women's basketball team being robbed of the opportunity to compete last year these teams had their seasons completely altered and taken away from them so get out there and support them you know go to a couple couple games sun's starting to come out here in eugene a little bit so great time to go catch some softball and baseball Mm -hmm. and uh just real quick uh in this sunday victory uh anthony hall was the bright spot for the oregon ducks went five for five with four rbis in the series he went six for seven with a home run and seven rbis so had a really good weekend it really looked like the ducks were struggling to pitch in that series and that kind of again I, i only played like youth baseball like growing up I never played baseball on a really competitive level but it's another thing like we were talking about with basketball where sometimes what you're doing with what's going on on the mound can almost affect you with what's going on at the plate because you're you see your pitcher struggling so you're trying to overcome that you know at the plate you're trying to do a little too much you're trying to you know hit those long balls where you should be trying to hit some singles and just make some contact so hopefully good old coach Waz can get them recentered. they've got a non-conference matchup coming up this week here in eugene versus new mexico state um looks like saturday double header and then otherwise thursday four o'clock friday at four o'clock also streamed on oregon live yup Let's jump on over now to volleyball, Shane. So a lot more spring sports doing some big things here for the Ducks. Uh, volleyball, they're actually coming up to the end of their season now. Um, big wins over California this last weekend and then headed down to Tempe to take on the Arizona State Sun Devils on Thursday and Saturday. Yeah, and that last matchup on Sunday, Brooke Noneveller had another monster performance with 13 kills, 12 digs, and two aces, led the team in all of those categories. They're the winner of five straight matches, and within that, nine straight sets. They 3-0'd Oregon State, Cal, uh, Oregon State once, and Cal twice. Do you um, have uh, the rankings pulled up over there? Yep, so right now the Oregon Ducks are sitting in second place in the Pac-12 at 13-3, and but 16th in the nation. Uh, Washington being in first place in the Pac-12 and seventh in the nation. Washington State is sitting at 10-3. They're 15th. Utah is 13-4. They are ranked 12th. 
and UCLA is 14 and 6, and they were ranked 17th in the country. Another sport that the Pac 12 just absolutely dominates. Bill Walton is somewhere screaming from a mountaintop. It's the Conference of Champions. Yeah, so these last two matchups of the regular season are coming up this Thursday and Saturday at ASU, and they're going to be huge games for this Pac 12 championship, mm-hmm. as there is a major logjam there with these teams with three losses with Washington, Oregon, and Washington State, with Utah being right behind them. And uh, the Pac-12 championship being decided here in the regular season with no real postseason tournament. So this is this is like my dream come true. Like this is the actual yeah, Pac-12 no, championship. Yeah, no conference postseason tournament, and then you just go into the big time. Yeah, mm-hmm. so it looks like ASU live stream is your only opportunity to watch that if you'd like to. So make sure to jump on there and check out and support the Oregon Volleyball Squad. Beach volleyball, Shane. Hit me with some beach volleyball so knowledge. We got to watch a little bit of beach volleyball here on the Pac-12 Network. They had they telecast the uh, tournament. The it wasn't a tournament. It was like a round robin at Arizona down there in Tucson. Yeah, picking places with nice weathers, and yeah. they threw it up on TV. Oregon ended up losing this matchup with the Trojans five nothing. But USC is not only ranked number one in the country, but they are the defending national champions as well. I mean, um, let, let's talk about this just for a second. So on Saturday they play the number one team in USC. On Saturday they follow that up by playing the number fourteen team in the country, Arizona. Then on Sunday, oh, it doesn't get any easier. Number 11 team in California. And then let's finish it up with the number four ranked UCLA Bruins. That's like the murderer's row of beach volleyball. Yeah. And I mean, it does make (laughs) sense that UCLA would have these top tier programs considering that's where (laughs) beach volleyball lives. (laughs) Where Uh, beach volleyball. I just had like this image of Wilson living in like this little beach hut. (laughs) (laughs) The pair number one ended up losing five, nothing, but put up a pretty good fight with Carly Wallace being uh, the dominant player for the Oregon Ducks. She has an absolute cannon on some of these kills and beach volleyball is really fun to watch as compared to indoor volleyball because it's a little more like quick hitting the volleys don't quite take as long Mm -hmm. you don't get as many of those long ones and when they do happen it gives them an extra level of excitement there um i don't watch a ton of beach volleyball but it was pretty easy to tell that usc's tina gradina and sammy slater are really really good (laughs) it was it was pretty apparent uh between their (laughs) between their team chemistry and everything else uh, it was it was a pretty dominant performance from them. Then in pair five, we had Ash Schroeder and B. Wetton. Um, B. Wetton is from Hillsboro, one okay. of the actual okay. um, homegrown Oregon players on this beach volleyball team. They also lost in straight sweats. They just didn't have enough size or speed. Um, USC really dominated that matchup in particular. And then in the other set that was – um, televised was pair two with LaFettle and Donovan. Uh, Donovan, really good size, was really good at playing the net. Um, was definitely the the more uh, productive of the pair with uh, LaFette being, Madeline LaFette being only 5'8". Okay. And All they right. said that they, they swapped these players in and out from the indoor team as makes, well. Makes so. Sense. Some of the better players of Brooke Nuneveller was a former beach volleyball player that got put on the indoor squad. She's obviously doing really well there. And that's where this Oregon team has kind of been hurt a little bit. Um, sorry, getting a phone call. That's curious. Again, we're, we, we're very honest about being novices here in some of these sports that we cover. But we do think it's important that these sports do get covered. And that's part of the reason why we try to do our best. It would make more sense to me for like volleyball to be a fall sport 
and beach volleyball to be a spring sport to and maybe be able to separate the athletes a little bit more and be able to get the athletes some different cross training. Cause that'd be, mm-hmm. I mean, going from playing on the gym and then playing in the sand, that's beautiful stuff. Yeah. And then you'd, you know, like a Brooke Nineveh over the world could have all more. Like, Absolutely. Yeah. And that last pair that, uh, was also straight sets. Um, Oregon did put up a pretty good fight, but they were playing the number one duo in the nation. It's tough. So yeah, that's pretty tough. It was uh, it, it was fun to watch. It was good to, to see the sport be represented on the Pac-12 network and everything. But it was a little disheartening seeing Oregon just run into this absolute buzzsaw of a USC Beach Volleyball Well, team. and this is a new program. This is mm-hmm. something that they're really working hard to get off the ground. They will be returning to the Northwest for a majority of their matchups here moving forward. On April 13th, they've got a doubleheader in Salem versus Portland and Corbin. Corbin University, and then the Husky Invitational on April 16th and 17th, and then one more opportunity to catch your beach volleyball squad here in Eugene, Oregon, on April 20th. That is a Tuesday against the Portland Pilots, so their senior day, basically. So if you do want to go catch some beach volleyball, that is going to be your opportunity, at least here in Eugene. Moving on. Let's go ahead and jump into soccer, Shane. We got one more topic here from the spring sport perspective. This Oregon soccer squad is really, really impressing with a, let's see, going. They have not lost in their last five games. A really, really impressive streak. They will face off against Utah in Eugene this Friday at 2 o'clock. But, Shane, tell me more about why this team is having so much success as of late. So goalkeeper Leah Freeman, who is a freshman, was the Pac-12 goalkeeper of the week this last week with her shutouts of Cal and Stanford. Uh, Friday against Cal, Freeman set a career high in saves with seven in the 1-0 shutout of Cal. And then on Saturday, Freeman topped that career high and totaled nine saves in the 0-0 tie versus Stanford. It was the first time in program history that Oregon had shut out Stanford in Palo Alto. It was also the first time in Oregon history that they went undefeated on the Bay Area trip. Uh, Freeman is now tied for the lead in Pac-12 with uh, five shutouts, and she is third in saves per game with 4.09. And in this, she became the third freshman ever to take home Player of the Week honors. So impressive. So impressive. I mean, I, I did kind of bury the lead there. I mean, they've gone, they haven't lost in their last five games, but they haven't even allowed a goal in their mm-hmm. last four games. That's a, I mean, what, four times nine? I mean, that's a, that's a lot of minutes, Shane. Yeah. <laughs> that's a lot of minutes. My goodness. Um, so really, really impressive to see what um, new coach Graham Abel has been able to put together with this program coming over from the U.S. Women's National Team, obviously having a lot of success there as an assistant coach. And now it's it's translating beautifully to this young, talented Oregon soccer squad with some, you know, love seeing the local talent be playing well. And another opportunity to go see your Oregon athletics in person. Uh, again, like I mentioned, this Friday, Utah, 2 o'clock. Sunday, they will also be hosting the Colorado Buffaloes at 11 a.m. Both games look like they will be streamed on Oregon Livestream. But again, I do believe uh, tickets are available. So if you want to go check out some Oregon soccer, make sure you get that opportunity and don't miss out. Yeah. Moving on. Mother of Ducklings, Shane. Mother of Ducklings gets a shoe. It's not exactly her own shoe per se, more of like a PE kind of a look, and she's kind of sharing the honors with Swipe of the Fox, the uh, deer and fox, the point guard for the Sacramento Kings, but still incredibly exciting to see the University of Oregon being represented by 
maybe our best ambassador. Mm-hmm. And the Nike has not, <clears throat> excuse me, Nike has not ruled out the Sabrina one. However, they said this is, they want to make it clear that this is not that shoe. Although- well, I, I think she had in her contract when she signed that she has, again, I, I didn't get to, there was, there was rumors that she has to reach certain numbers to get to her like own, own shoe. Mm-hmm. Which she would be the first woman basketball player to, to have her that. own signature shoe. Deladon However, got very close, but yes, go, uh, go Sabrina was involved in the shaping and framing for the insights that drove the design. Like you said, Sabrina and Deer and Fox will be the faces faces of Nike's greater than shoe series. Uh, the GT cut will be the one that Sabrina will be donning here in this next season. It features a low-cut feel with extra padding on the toe for hard stopping and step-backs. also features a full-length Zoom Air sitting under a React Foam sock liner. Something we were kind of talking about for the podcast. Yeah, it looks a little bit like the Zoom Freak. Mm-hmm. It's got a kind of a similar feel with the swoosh being the real stylistic item on the outside of the shoe. And uh, Nike's designers crafted the shoe with insights from men and women basketball players. And the shoe will also be available in men and women sizes rather than women basketball players having to use the the algorithm to figure out which shoe size they'll actually be wearing. Um, Sabrina did say that she will still be rocking the Kobe's at times during the season as kind of an ode to her idol and to show respect to the uh, Kobe's daughter. Well, and it's what she's always worn. Too. I mean, there was. Exactly. A, I mean, even here at Oregon, a lot of what she wore were Kobe. So it mm-hmm. makes sense that that's what she's comfortable playing in. And Sabrina's exclusive colorway colorway will feature teal from the New York Liberty um, colorway, as, as well as green and yellow on the same shoe. So it's going to have a nice Oregon New York Liberty kind of hybrid feel. We got to get those shoes, Shane. We got to get those shoes. I'll yeah. say I've I've resisted. I've been pretty good. You have not been very I've good. I've been very bad. Um, but that's that's one that we'll definitely have to get a pair of those. Each get a pair of those here while we're rocking on the podcast. So Ooh, yeah, good stuff for the mother of ducklings. Also, really impressive to see. Uh, she recently was on the cover of Slam Magazine, and it sold out in minutes. Yeah, minutes. And I love seeing all of the different brand ambassadors all these different um, social media influencers and personalities getting the word out there, invest in women's sports, mm-hmm. invest in women's sports. There is a market out there. There's money to be made. There is money to get into these athletes pockets. But before that can happen, the space has to be further developed. And we've kind of talked to that, talked about that probably on every episode now for a few months now that Boy, we try, you gotta, we, it has to start rolling. That's yeah. the chicken or the egg. It, we need to start giving these sports the attention, and with that attention comes the financial impact, and with that improves the product. All of these things are, are trending in the right direction, though, which makes me incredibly happy. 100%, 100%. Could not agree more with you there, Shane. Um, now uh, we'll go ahead and move on and jump into some big-time recruiting news. The news that hit right before the podcast today, 2022 wide receiver out of Texas, Stefan Johnson, a speedy wide receiver, three star. A lot of people love this kid's ability very, very fast. I saw a couple tweets referencing how good his hands were also in this class. Um, Mario Cristobal continues to do it, Shane, just continues to do it. Also pulling in 2022 in-state prospect, uh, safety four-star Trajan Williams uh, out of Jefferson. He's a Democrat. So just Mario Cristobal continuing. That's the name of the school. 
Yes. That's oh, yeah. Jefferson Democrats. Democrats. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> the Jefferson Democrats, which is also just kind of an interesting. Uh, I'm so surprised nickname. they haven't changed that. Yeah. It's a really. I don't know if they ever that. That's pretty embedded into the pro. The, the yeah, basketball history sure. that Jefferson has had. I don't know if they'll ever change that. Most but, yeah. people call them the demos at this point. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And it's like a. I think it's a donkey that they use. I think so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the the first player that you named, I saw was a player that Tanner Bailey, the Alabama. Uh, product that is going to be playing quarterback here at the university of oregon was very high on i don't know how they know each other i imagine it's through the high school all-star camp circuit but mm-hmm. he was a player that, that uh he really wanted to come and come to the U of O and catch some passes from him so that was really cool to see that there's already a connection between some potential stars here on the football team you love to see it you love to see it and just you know reload we don't we don't rebuild here anymore we reload absolutely All right, let's go ahead and jump into America's new favorite podcast segment. Yeah, we're going long today, Shane. Justin reads tweets to Shane. It's a beautiful thing, ladies and gentlemen. It's a beautiful thing. Thank you for sticking around for America's new favorite podcast segment. Let's jump right into it. First tweet from Gabriel Sewell Sr. at GSewell underscore SR. Fueled by sweat. Driven by desire, making dreams a reality. Check the link. And this is a tweet of a uh, Panay. Was Wasn't that good? Yeah. yeah <laughs> I was listening to uh, some of those old 90s movie trailers and just like the voice that the guy uses. Yeah. In a world. Yeah. It's just like, <laughs> oh, it's so good. It's so good. But yeah, that is obviously a uh, Panay Sewell's dad, Gabriel Sewell, tweeting out and putting some respect. On uh, his man's name there, putting out a training montage video. So definitely go check that out. We retweeted it earlier this week from the Flockpot account. Yeah, I mean, it's it's that time of the year where we see you guys, like, jumping out of pools and stuff to try and... I'll never like, forget that one. That was a great one. Try and help out uh, their, their draft stock. And it looks like... Penny Suell is probably one of the players that's kind of uh, slid around these mock drafts. I don't want to say the most. There's definitely some quarterbacks that have kind of jumped around from the high to low end of the first round. I'd be pretty shocked if Penne fell any lower than six. Well, the 49ers really shook it up when they made that big trade to move all the way up to three. Stupid trade. They're, <laughs> love to see <laughs> it. If you know, 49ers. It's all right. Um, it'll be interesting to see what the Bengals decide to do. There's a lot of, I guess, Joe Burrow's really pushing hard internally for them to get a pass catcher, whether that's Jamar Chase, Jamar Chase, or I've seen some Kyle Pitts love even that high tight end out of Florida. Uh, if you play fantasy football, definitely stash away the name Kyle Pitts. I actually tweeted this earlier today. Kyle Pitts will be the best player in this draft, not named Penny Swell. I've seen that in a couple different places. He is an absolute um, athletic phenomenon. Mm, so that'll great be great pass catcher in traffic, too. Yes, it'll be very interesting and exciting to see what he's able to do at this next level. Uh, the BYU left tackle, I know, is getting a lot of love lately. Uh, PFF was really trying to pump him up. I can't remember his name now, of course. But, yeah, I think Suell is the the once-in-a-lifetime kind of, you know, Orlando Pace-type player here that you make sure to take. I think he can't miss, and I would be stoked if Cincinnati took him to protect my fantasy keeper quarterback in our Triple Crown League, Joe Burrow. Uh, I'd love to see him go to the Chargers. I've seen that a couple places, too. I have, too. That would be cool. 
I'm not trying to put too much energy into that just because I don't want to get disappointed. Let let Chase go, you know, group up and be his with his college teammate, and let's get the real guy to the Chargers, and then let's I'm have some fun. It. I've always thought it'd be the coolest thing ever if like NFL teams had to like like the old like ABA drafts where if you had to draft per region, yeah. I always thought that would be the coolest thing ever. But well, there's there's a fun segment right there that we might have to jump into a little bit later. But yes, for now, moving on. Our next tweet comes from none other than Rob Mosley himself, who we brought up earlier on the podcast, at GoDucksMosley. He tweets, Dana Altman, quote, Our ball movement against the zone that first half was not good. I let the guys down. I didn't have them ready for that zone. I thought I did, but their length and athleticism bothered us. End quote. Hashtag GoDucks. Didn't read it in the Dana Altman voice because I'm too sad, Shane. This is this is a, a coach falling on his sword, and I actually didn't see this quote until just now. Um, yeah, I, I mean, hitting the nail on the head. You know, I, that's one of the things I love about Dana, though, is he's so quick to take the accountability when he feels like it's on his shoulders. One hundred percent. We haven't seen him do it a lot this year, and I think that was more because he kind of thought that it was. Things that had happened negatively were more circumstantial, which I agree with. And this whole year has just kind of been like people trying to piece everything together. And he's also not one to make excuses. So we talked about that last week, how as a fan, it's incredible to be able to root for a coach like Dana Altman, who develops a culture like he has. It's it's unfortunate now, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty with the USC comments and how, you know, Oregon stole it from them and all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. And USC went out and played like they really had that mentality and wanted to prove a point. But again, you're never going to hear a Duck basketball player make those kind of comments and play the next week. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Isaiah Mobley did say that stuff, and he backed it up. Uh, you could maybe that, that was did. the maybe that was the fire that he not only needed to light under his teammates' ass, but under his own ass, and the rallying cry. Yeah, it worked out well. And then they went on and got plastered by the Bulldogs. So you know, karma. Well, yeah, basketball. That karma. was as much as I'm a pro, like back the pack guy. USC is like the exception, so I. I took a lot of joy watching To me, that. yeah, USC and Washington are two Pac-12 teams I have a really, really hard time rooting for in just about mm-hmm. anything. So I'm still really not rooting for UCLA either. But, you know, here we are. Here yeah. we are. It would be, I, I wouldn't mind seeing them make beat Gonzaga and go to the championship. I'm not rooting for them. I think it would be cool just for storylines for us in the future, but that's about it's possible. Yeah, but the Gonzaga undefeated, you know, and then the talk of, you know, will they join the Pac-12 is also, you know, that's another I think Gonzaga one. just being a Pacific Northwest that's, team, I yeah. feel like we can kind of hold on to that a little bit closer to our If hearts. Titus and Tate, you know, mentions Gonzaga in the Pac-12 update, I think we can claim yeah. a little bit here. So. <laughs> Which for a second, I was like, they do know they're not in the Pac-12, right? <laughs> like, okay, cool, 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 cool. With Titus, sometimes I'm not quite sure. Um, moving on. Our next tweet comes from Renee Montgomery at Renee Montgomery on the Twitter sphere. She tweets things. I was taught never let it be close enough that the refs can decide the outcome. The refs tend to swallow the whistle at the end, which is why the putback is the game winner. Most times don't focus on the last couple of plays of the game, but the plays that lead up to it. She tweeted this right after the UConn-Baylor game, which if you did not watch, I highly encourage you to jump on the old ESPN Plus or whatever you have access to to go rewatch that game. Shane and I were talking a little bit here before the pod got started. That might have been the best basketball game I've seen all year, if not in a long time. 
the play that Renee is referencing here, or subtweeting, if you will, was uh, Dijon A. Carrington driving through the paint there, last opportunity for Baylor to score. She tries to put up a uh, tries to put up a shot on the left side baseline, and she just gets absolutely canopied by two UConn players, and unquestionably a foul. But mm-hmm. as Renee says here, you can't put yourself in that situation. Well, and it was interesting, too, that the position of the ref was on the baseline underneath the hoop on the opposite side, and the player close in the most direct line of vision from that referee was straight up. It was the player to the right because it was kind of a double team that had hands down that really affected the shot the most. And so in that instance, that referee has to make that decision on whether they blow the whistle and run the risk of there being a phantom call on the last shot of the game when Baylor took an eternity to start their offense on that last play. It was a bad possession to begin with, and Carrington still, she had a drop-off about you know a second before that had she seen it. There was a Baylor Lady Bear wide open underneath the basket for about two seconds, and she just, you can't see it sometimes with those sight lines. But Carrington also had... I think she was trying to do a little too much there in the last couple possessions. She'd had so much success throughout the game, and she just she didn't rely upon her teammates as much as I would have liked to have seen from mm-hmm. a coaching perspective. Well, and she really she put them in the position to, to, to have that, that opportunity to win the game. And she, I think on the three previous possessions, got to the line on at least two of them, was getting to the rack at will, was really forcing the refs to blow those whistles, in which most of them, I would agree, were fouls. But that's where I thought she did make the the key mistake was that thinking that you were going to get another whistle in that gonna situation. Going to get bailed out, yeah. Well, and you brought it up too. I mean, they came out with the defensive mentality of we're just going to beat Paige up. Mm-hmm. We're going to be really aggressive, really Especially physical. Especially her. Yeah. I mean, DeJounte Carrington was fucking Paige Beckers yeah. up for three quarters. Well, and that was – well, Carrington wasn't guarding her too much earlier on in the game. It was the other player for Baylor. I'm not talking about guarding her. I'm oh, just, just every yeah, chance her, that yep. she had to put yep. her body on hers, she was. And she was staring at her while she was on the ground. She was doing everything in her power to physically intimidate her. her yeah. This wasn't like an X's and O's. Oh, she moved her feet really well and like guarded her well off picks. She was trying to get inside her head and make her not take those shots. And I was blown away by Paige and what she was really able to impressive. do, especially at the end of that game. That really, was, really impressive performance. That was that was an all timer. I th- like even like around the second quarter. I was talking. I was like, this is either going to be like the first real moment in the Paige Becker story, or it's going to be the thing that's going to be her motivating factor in the the next. Like, which part of the movie in the Paige Becker's movie is this? Yeah, and yeah. it was. I mean, that that could have been the end of the movie with the way that she played. That was awesome. And I mean, just hitting those shots, mean mugging, using the attitude, getting her teammates involved, like taking all of the intimidation and attitude that the Baylor Bears were giving to her and kind of giving it back to her, but waited until the end to kind of show that that swagger didn't give Baylor any more fire than they needed down the stretch. That's a really good point. Yeah, is she she was showing emotion, but doing so in a classy way and a way to fire up her teammates, but not necessarily give the Lady Bears any mm-hmm. fire. And if anything, it did just kind of spark us a little bit of frustration within Carrington where even those drives previous to that last possession when she was getting those fouls, it was this like, fuck you, like drive to the hoop where yeah. she was just bouncing off bodies and throwing the ball up. And I mean, Baylor has, uh, I mean, if Didi, uh, 
Dee Dee Richards doesn't get hurt in that game. That's who I was talking about. It was Garden Page earlier yeah, yeah, we're talking about maybe a different outcome. And, I mean, her story uh, from being paralyzed. 100%. And that's when they made their run is right when she got hurt. They went on that 19-0 run. And I was having flashbacks to Sabali, you know, thinking about mm-hmm. what she had gone through to get there. And you, she tapes it up and she tries to go out there and gut it out. And Mulkey, you could just see. I mean, as a coach, you want to give your player the benefit of the doubt. But when they're not able to move – you can't do much. And I it was interesting too because I'm not a Kim Mulkey fan. I'm actually like I'm kind of an anti Kim Mulkey yeah, person. I'm right there with you. But I found myself rooting for Baylor at the end of that game because of the way the heart that they had played with, the defensive mentality, the to come all the way back off of a 19-0 run like that. It was I was I was surprised myself by rooting for Baylor. Yeah, I mean, I hit that point where it was just so entertaining that I was almost having like this out of body experience where you're jumping off the couch both sides. I remember when Paige hit that three on that ball screen over on like the right wing, yep. I'm jumping off on the couch. Like, Are you fucking kidding me? Let's go! Like, and I, I don't have zero dogs in that race at all. Like, I mean, I, I just like watching basketball, but I'm, I wouldn't consider myself. I've always kind of rooted against UConn women's basketball yeah. for the same reason I've rooted against any perennial powerhouse any monolith like that yeah Yeah. exactly so i mean but in that instance like they hit that run i was i was like i was rooting for basically whoever wasn't winning yeah well it's that's when you become you're just a fan you're just Mm -hmm. you're rooting for a great game you're rooting for success on both sides and i kind of reached that point in the 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 houston oregon state game you know, where I was just kind of like, ah, Beavers win. Like, okay, great. But I just kind of want like a great game. It was Houston, right? I'm just, I'm, Houston, okay, yeah. I was like, man, yeah. my brain tried, tried to short out on me there for well, a second. shit, dude. The last couple of weeks, all these games, they were all starting to like, at a certain point, they all started to bleed together. And it all like, just wait, becomes wait, wait. like one shining moment in your head where everything's <laughs> yeah. just kind of like bleeding over and talking about it's it. Just, all you see is this montage. <laughs> yeah, basically. Basically basketball overload, but it's a, it's a beautiful thing to have that even available to us. So. Oh, what a what a problem to have. What a season, Shane. What a basketball basketball season for these ducks not obviously the way we wanted it to end for them but we'll obviously get into more of that more again said obviously again drink or do your squats uh that's that's pretty much all i've got for today shane i think we've exhausted the resources my man yeah yeah i think i mean like you said it was a good season i wouldn't even say like would we like to see how it ends i mean they yeah, I guess I'd like to see them win a championship every year. I wanted I to see them win. beat USC on the men's side, I guess, and I just I thought I thought they had one more run in each. I think I thought each team had one more game in them. Mm-hmm. You know, I wasn't getting crazy thinking we were going to play for a natty or something like that. But I just I thought one more game, one more game. But yeah, but now we get to do all the fun deep diving you know it, research baby. stuff you know as we enter the spring and the summer here. And you know, I'm going to try to explain Falcon and the Winter Soldier to Shane also as we move along here throughout Ooh, this season. I'm even confused by the title. <laughs> that, that should be especially fun i promise uh, i won't see it yeah <laughs> as always we appreciate you we love you we out peace Sorry.